Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I'm your host. I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in very practical ways. And today's conversation, whoo, man, it was a fun one. Natalie Runyon and her latest resource, Raise to Stay. Now, you might know Natalie from her Instagram account, where she posts little black boxes about what it means to stay in the church. As a matter of fact, she calls her little tribe of people stayers, as in people who are committed to staying in the body of Christ. Such a life-giving and fun conversation. She is doing so much to speak into the life of the church every single day, and I'm so thankful for her ministry. Do me a favor, if this is helpful for you, share it with a friend, maybe somebody who you know uh, struggles with the church or loves Natalie on Instagram. Um, I promise they won't regret it. So now, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. It's great to have you. It's so good to be with you guys, Tony. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I love to kind of start with the macro. You've done a lot of things in your life from worship leader to teacher uh, to writer to director of an Instagram account. I don't know. I don't know what to call that. (laughs) (laughs) But how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? You know, I used to like think that I was like the Dora, the explorer of ministry. Like you could put any like thing on me and I would just do it. Like you want me to be a scuba diver? Great. You want me to be a cheerleader? Awesome. Um, I just found, you know, church being something that I have loved since I was a little girl. And so I've kind of just been with the Lord, like whatever you want to do with me, just just do it. Um, but I'm definitely a creative in the kingdom. I uh, love to create. I love to write. I love to bring the word of God to life for people who are maybe hearing it for the first time. And so whether it's acting or singing or writing, I just feel like what he's asking me to do right now is to create in a way that draws even the biggest skeptic into relationship with him first, and then prayerfully into his bride second. Wow. How does, um, you, you know, that's kind of a, big look. How, how did you begin to develop that thought process of like, oh, I, I'm I'm called in this particular area and it's okay? Because it, it doesn't necessarily, that, that doesn't necessarily fit into like one specific thing. It, it feels kind of um, messy, if I could use that word. Totally. I think in college, I went to school in Ohio, actually, where you are at, and it was Miami of Ohio. And I was wanting to be a writing major. I wanted to be a creative writing major. And I actually tried to write this book we're going to talk about uh, when I was a freshman in college. And I named it, My Initials Are Not PK. And it was the scathing expose of what it was like to grow up in the church and be a pastor's kid. And thankfully, when I sent it off to be published, I was rejected because that book did not need to be published. (laughs) Um, But it opened up something in me that I knew I wanted to tell a story. And I think I have been chasing that story for the last 20 years through acting, through worship leading, through speaking. I, I think the Lord has been using all of that 
to bring me to this place. And I just had to be okay with the fact that I'm kind of a misfit. Um, Mm. I've wanted to fit in. I've wanted to be like everyone else, but all that did was stop me from being who I am. And I'm a little weird. I'm eclectic. I love the eighties. I wear crazy clothes. My hair is a different color every, every year. You know, I am who I am by the grace of God, I believe as Paul wrote. And as the Lord continued to show me that I was a wordsmith, that I was created to take words and to put them into a picture for people. Once I started to hone in on that with this Instagram account, I think at 40, 41, I finally realized, oh, like this is what I'm made to do and I'm not going to apologize about it anymore. And that's been how the last three years have been going for me is just writing what the Lord gives me. Let's talk a little about the Instagram account because it's such a, uh, a iconic piece of of social media at this point, right? Like if you're in the church world like I am, it's one of the people, you know, about once or twice a month, someone sends me um, one of your posts because... You know, because of most of my friends, we've been in the church world. How, how did this thing? Um, how did this thing kind of start? And then, when did you realize that it was growing at an extremely rapid rate? You're up at what, like ninety eight thousand followers at this point in time, or something crazy like that? Like, how how did this thing get so big? It was 2019. I will never forget. Like I was on a walk with the dog. I was under one of the most unhealthy leaders I've ever been in in church, which tells you a lot when I've been raised in the church. And I was walking the dog and it was the first time that I literally out loud just told the Lord, I'm done. I want to quit. I have a degree. Why do I keep doing this to myself? 20 years of pastor's kid, 20 years in ministry. Let me be a Starbucks barista. Let me go do something that is a lot easier. And as I'm wrestling with the Lord and wanting to quit, he's talking back to me in just such a gentle way. I could just feel him in that breeze. And I literally heard the phrase in my mind, raise to stay. And Mm. I remember thinking, that's weird. Like, where did that come from? And then realizing, oh, I must not be done yet because God has just trusted me with this thing that I don't even know what it is. I took off running home, Googled the phrase raised to stay. There's nothing. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? Like, I want to quit. And you're giving me a ministry about staying. Like, I don't even know what that, (laughs) what that means. And what I realized is he took me to John 15, which was about abiding in him. Mm. And that if raised to abide looked good on a t-shirt, maybe I would have called it raised to abide because I'm not telling people to stay in a church, stay in unhealthy leadership. I'm saying, let's just stay connected to the vine so that we can bear good fruit and continue this work that Jesus has called us to do, which is love people, love him and go and make disciples. But we are going to hit some difficult things along the way. And so I wrote my first Instagram post on my personal page. I think I wrote a black box that was like, Something about the church didn't hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I just hashtagged it, raised to stay on this black box with white writing, put it on my personal account. And before I knew it, people were sending me messages like, oh, that was really, that was a really good thing that you wrote. Like, thanks for saying that. So every day I wrote a black box to convince myself not to quit. And that's how this whole thing started was me telling myself not to quit. How many black boxes um, in a row have you written, do you think? I mean, there are some days I'll crank out three um, series. If the Lord gives it to me, I write it. And I'll be really honest with you. It's usually in carpool while I'm waiting for my kids. 
um, in the bathroom. I mean, some of my most majestic black boxes have come from the bathroom, which will probably like really ruin this for a lot of people. But, you know, the Lord meets us in unexpected places <laughs> where we're like finally quiet and not with children screaming around us. But, you know, I, I sit down and the Lord will just give me these like these word pictures. And so I think altogether I've probably written over a thousand black boxes. Um, but a lot of them I will repost or I will reword or if sure. one if one seems offensive or people don't really understand it because of how I write, I'll take it down and kind of wordsmith it a little bit more. But I would say collectively, there's been over a thousand probably posted right now. I keep about 300 up. That's wild. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate is you say things that are hard for some, for me as a pastor to say, if I, you know, just like the, the other day you posted one about uh, staff and just, you know, accountability and, you know, it's it's clearly written from your perspective of someone who's been on church staffs. And uh, how, what's it like offending a lot of people every day? <laughs> well, you asked me, like, how do I know what I'm called to? You know, 22-year-old Natalie was asking for a book and asking for a, a platform. But 22-year-old Natalie would be crushed by some of the things that are said to me on Instagram and DMs, like just horrible things. By Christians too. That's my favorite part. By Christians. And honestly, Christians are worse than the deconstructionists. Like at least the deconstructionists are honest about what they're walking out. Christians just want to keep everything hidden as if we're all doing just fine. And clearly we're not doing just fine. Uh, 43-year-old Natalie reads these things. And I think I know who I am by the grace of God. I know the authority that I carry. I know the word of God. And so therefore I am challenging the church and championing the saints, which iron sharpening iron is biblical. It is okay. And Jesus offended people. Paul offended people. And as long as I'm preaching the gospel, which is what God tells Jeremiah and Jeremiah and Jeremiah one is I will give you my words and you will say my words. And if you do that, what can man do to you? Yeah. And so I have to every day wake up with that. If I'm being obedient, I'm saying the word of God. And if people don't like it, that's okay because I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to be obedient, but that's taken 20 years for me to be able to say without having really thin skin. Yeah. Obedience is such a hard thing to practice and walk out. Uh, One of the things that I hear from you over and over again, and you're talking and just your writing too, is this idea of obedience and listening to the Lord. I, I imagine there's somebody who's listening to this podcast right now. That's like, Natalie, that's great. I want to write great things too. How do you know it's the Lord and not, you know, what you desire or things that would just be easier or, you know, that kind of mentality? It's just such a interesting line to have to walk. It's um, daily having to sacrifice and surrender my agenda for God's heart for his people. And when we know the word of God, and I think our generation has grown up on a lot of social media hot takes. So we've grown up with a lot of literature, podcast, video, like we have a lot of voices speaking into our lives. So we could have an argument on just hot takes alone where we're just spewing quotes from other people, right? Like, well, John Bevere says this and, you know, um, Christine Kane says that. I mean, we have so many content creators who are beautiful content creators giving us these sound bites of truth and they are truth. And that's why it's really important what we listen to. And so for me, it's like, I just have to know that even though I'm listening to all those other voices and I'm reading a lot and I'm listening a lot, 
that the word of God is the only absolute truth. And so if I'm speaking the word of God, the word, it promises that it will go out and it won't return void, right? Mm. So if I'm preaching the word of God and I'm saying, this is what the word of God says, and I'm going to make it wordsmith it to make it feel a little bit more relatable, but I'm not going to add to or take away, then I know that that's from the Lord. My heart posture then comes second. Am I writing this to make a point to somebody in particular? Am I trying to have a mic drop for a situation in my life, or am I truly contending for the body of Christ? If I'm writing it to get back at someone, that's not a good reason to write it. And you'll see me retract posts every now and then because I'll have a change of heart a couple hours later and think, ooh, yeah, I was writing that to make a point that maybe one person was going to see out of 98,000, and that's not okay. So I think our heart posture of why am I saying what I'm saying Is it biblical? And finally, does it encourage the body of Christ? Is it giving life? Is it speaking life or is it speaking death? And we know that the power of life is in the tongue. And so however I write has to be encouraging to the church, still challenging, maybe still, you know, a little bit hard to swallow, but if you needed to, you could back it up with scripture. So I always just have to ask people like, is it scriptural? Would Jesus be okay reading this? <laughs> and and a year from now, am I going to be embarrassed that I, I wrote this and think, oh, like that wasn't my best self, you know? I, uh, I've i seen you take down posts and I appreciate the maturity that that takes because not, not everybody wants to, you know, take a step back and say, hey, I am, I, I may have been off base there. Um, I, I'm curious about your own Obviously, you know, the Instagram is this ginormous world that you live in, but it's not the real world like your community. What what does your um, disciplines look like for you? One of the things we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. And so what what does your normal routine look like to stay in a healthy place, even though you're wielding what some may call a megaphone? Yeah. First of all, I'm a mom of tweens and teens. You know, I've got um, all of these people in my life that I'm trying to take care of that aren't even me. You know, it's it's like <laughs> I'm married. I um, obviously have my parents live with us. We're going to be moving back to the Midwest and South to take care of other parents. There's just so much of being a woman, you know, that yeah. I wish I could say, oh, I wake up and spend an hour with the Lord on my face in my prayer closet. And the truth is, is that in this season for me, I'm surrounding myself with armor bearers. Mm-hmm. I have a text thread of prayer warriors that I'm calling on 24-7. I've got my journal by my bed. I've got, you know, Charity Gale blasting in my ears on the, you know, worship podcast, on the, you know, the worship um, Amazon account. Like I, I think anytime that I can just surrender myself into the presence of God and just let him speak to me, even in the chaos that's where I have to be. But this accountability piece is the part for me that has been the most important. And that is I never travel alone. I always have a a woman or my husband traveling with me and making sure that I'm being taken care of and that I'm having a a sounding board if I don't know what to do or what to say, or Mm -hmm. if I get caught in a conversation. And even on social media, I have these amazing mentors who will come and say, Hey, Natalie, I think you should take that one down or reword it or say it different because it could be taken a different way. And I've just had to really humble myself and posture myself to receive from the Lord whenever I can, and then surround myself with people who will speak the word of God over me. Um, Because I am poor 
pouring out a ton. And I guess I didn't expect it to be this quick. Um, I know a lot of us want a big social media account. We want the followers. But I remember being on a podcast about a year and a half ago. I only had about 1,300 followers at the time. And this guy said, I guess I'm just surprised that you don't have more followers. And I said, well, I'm not because I asked the Lord to only give me what I could steward. And if I can only steward 1,300, then maybe that's all I need. And so I I think I find myself feeling the weight of that burden of 98,000 people listening to what I have to say. And so I have to match that intensity with accountability and time in the presence of God. And I do like a hundred Bible studies at once. Like if you were to open up my browser, I've got like three Bible studies going. I'm in the middle of four books. I'm reading Christine Kane's Don't Look Back right now. John Bevere's Bait of Satan is like a Bible to me. You know, there's just, you know, there's just these practices that we have to put into place and, and God gives us grace for every season. Um, but I, I covet um, strong mamas in the faith right now. Mm. Uh, somebody was, I was telling somebody about the conversation that you and I were going to have today and they were like, well, What's like, what's your account like? And I, I was struggling to find words to describe it. And I landed here and I want to get your opinion on it. Uh, I was like, well, she's like a, a prophet to the church right now. She's just kind of speaking that. H- how do you feel about that? Um, that title? How do you feel about it? I, I, I clearly believe that what you're doing is a much needed voice. Um, and it feels very prophetic to me in the sense of that kind of call to accountability and action for the for the bride. What, what, any thoughts on that? I mean, I believe in the gift of prophecy. I operate in a prophetic gift in that I use the word of God to bring truth. I use the word of God to encourage and to comfort. We know prophetic gifting, um, it isn't meant to necessarily like speak dooms and glooms. We're not sure. predicting, we're not predicting marriages or babies. We're not like, right, you know, these like, um, you know, what a lot of people do think when they hear that word prophet, they think like, you know, it, magic balls and eight balls and everything. And it's like, you know, a, a prophet would go and, per, and put out warning. They would put out yeah. a warning, but it was always in this encapsulated with the Holy Spirit and with the word of God. And so I do believe I, I have that gifting of encouraging the church through prophetic words uh, driven by scripture. I've also been told that I'm kind of like a modern day Paul where I'm writing letters to the church and I'm saying, hey, heads up, like, you know, this is where we've fallen before. Let's not do it again. Like, let's try to keep it together and nobody quits. We're all going to stay. We're going to ask for the thorn to be taken from our flesh three times. God's grace is sufficient. And I think that that has been my my role in the church my entire life has been just trying to keep everybody in the boat. Um, and, and do I love that role? Um, I think 10 years ago, I wouldn't have. But now that I stand in it, I realize I've been graced for it and there mm-hmm. will be challenges with it, like any gift. Um, so I don't want to say that it's something that I, I don't want. I think it's something that I carry with fear and trepidation and trembling, um, knowing that I'll be held accountable for every word that comes out of my mouth spoken and written. So that feels, that feels heavy. Yeah. Go team. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else want to sign up for this? (laughs) Well, I listen, I think it's super important. I, I think we need voices like yours in seasons like this. Um, You've written a, a beautiful book in, in Raised to Stay, and I'm I'm thankful that your first book, um, 18 years, you know, at eight, at 18 didn't get accepted because what you've got here is full of a lot of experience and wisdom. Um, w- one of the terms that you use in, across everything that you do is a, is the term stayer, and uh, I wonder if you could just give us uh, a good working definition of what that means to you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, John 15, if you look through the different translations, it talks about, hey, like, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, that word abide, um, abide in me. If you remain in me, if you stay in me, there's like so many different translations of how that word abide comes across. And that whole stay is to stay steadfast, to you know, be in a place of being able to say, yes, blessed are those who are persecuted, you know, because we know what happens when we find ourselves persecuted. And so sometimes we're staying connected to the vine, even when the world is trying to rip us off, even when people are trying to hurt us, even when there are storms, we're staying connected to Jesus. And Hmm. a lot of people will say, well, how dare you tell me to stay in a bad church or under toxic leadership or under an abusive leader? I hear that all the time. And I'm quick to say, no, I'm not telling you to stay in a building. We are not going to get longevity awards in heaven. We aren't going to get 25-year trophies when we get to heaven. And we're told, congratulations, you stayed under a narcissist for 25 years. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's not what we're going to hear. This is about staying connected to Jesus so that when things happen, when a a leader fails us, when we have a Saul, when we hit our own Judas, that we don't just take everything and run, but that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and remind ourselves that he's the only perfect one and that all these people are going to let us down. But if we will remain on that vine, we will produce good fruit. And sometimes good fruit is leaving a church that's on toxic soil and uprooting and going and planting ourselves somewhere healthier. Um, And so I am all for leaving toxic churches, abusive relationships, but I also want to challenge us then to turn towards healing and try to find a place that we can grow, get back into community and heal. Hey guys, just pause in this conversation with Natalie to remind you to subscribe to the Spirit and Truth Substack. The Substack goes out twice a week and it's all about spirit-filled leadership. It's about what it means to lean in to uh, being a leader of people and being dependent on the Holy Spirit. You can learn more by going to spiritandtruth.substack.com. One of the things I appreciate about the book is that you weave your own story in with just some really solid um, biblical teaching. I'm wondering if you might expound upon the story uh, with your dad in the hospital. That was one that just moved me deeply, and it it was uh, a – yeah, I'll let you tell the story because I'm not going to do it justice, (laughs) but I really wanted to, to have you expound upon it. Yeah, my senior year in high school, we went through a pretty bad church hurt scenario with my parents and everything. And so my dad ended up having to get another job. It was the first time I'd really seen him look for a job outside of ministry, and he was a car dealer. He called me one day and said, hey, you know, I got this other opportunity to take another church. Can Would you be okay if I did that? Because I was walking out my own pain. Mm. And I said, you know what? Hey, if you it's your own funeral, man, if you want to go back into ministry, knock yourself out. Um, and so he did. And uh, I watched my parents take on that pastor. It was such passion and love for the people. And then one day... I'm personal training. I'm, you know, brand new out of college and it's about a month before my wedding. And I get a phone call that my dad was having a heart attack. And I remember just being like, he's young, he's 50, like he's having heartburn. He's fine. And we get to the hospital and my greatest fears were realized as my mom and my aunts were wailing in the triage room. Uh, The doctor comes out and says, you need to come say goodbye. And it was just like this out-of-body experience. You know, I'm 27, he's 50. My husband husband at the time uh, or now is with me and we're a month from our wedding. And I walk back into that triage room and my dad is laying on the bed and the line is flat. And I just see him laying there like like my dad, my first pastor, like this isn't happening. Like there's no way 
that I'm losing this, this man, jet black hair, like just looked perfectly like he was sleeping. Mm. And I walked over to him and I felt like I was having this moment where the enemy was on one shoulder and Jesus was on the other. And on one shoulder, the enemy is snarling, the church killed your father. Too much stress, too much disappointment, too much hurt, too much betrayal. It just, it was too much for him. And then on the other shoulder, the Holy Spirit saying, but if he dies, I'm good. I'm like, well, yeah, but you're always good, but please. And he's like, and if he lives, I'm good. Yes, obviously, if he lives, you're good. And he said, then I want you to remember all of my promises. And I want you to let that be the loudest voice right now. Tell him to take up his bed and walk. And it was like, as the church kid, you hear all these stories of Lazarus coming out of the grave and blind men seeing and deaf men hearing. And we don't have to put into practice those miracles every single day. But it was like in that moment, I'm being challenged, like, believe it, like, believe me over that voice Mm. of the enemy. So I laid over my dad and I just start screaming at the top of my lungs, take up your bed and walk, take up your bed and walk. And I'm screaming this until I hear a single beep on the monitor and the doctor comes running in the nurses they throw me out and my dad they shock him one more time and he sits up and he yells hey and they just wheel him out past me up to the cath lab and they suck out the 99 percent blockage of his right coronary artery which was the widow maker and i remember getting on the elevator and realizing i think i just witnessed a miracle like i i think i <laughs> i'm pretty confident <laughs> I just saw a miracle and I got up to the hallway and there were just all these pastors and leaders and everybody who knew he was okay. They were, they were filing up there. And I knew in that hallway that there were some situations that weren't okay. There were people who were angry with each other, people who were in like Hatfield McCoy, you know, church issues going on. And they were there, they were there to contend for my father's healing. And the Lord told me there's more than healing happening in your dad's room. There's healing happening in this hallway too. Mm because God does things all the way. He finishes everything. And that was the first time in my life that I realized that I could believe the voice of the enemy over everything in my life. And you guys could too. You know, the church killed you. The church is going to wear you down. The church hurt you. Or we can believe the truth of our God who is saying, I have the final word. I'm still good. And I had to come to grips with if my dad had died, God would still have been good. I just would have taken that journey differently. Um, in that moment, he chose to heal on this side of heaven instead of on the other side of heaven. And I'm grateful for that. But not everyone has that story. And so we have to sit in the tension of knowing and trusting that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Um, but we have to be willing to ask for the miracle of the healing. And that's what I want to push people towards is the healer, not the pain. Well, it's interesting, right? You, you kind of um, put the book together in a way that takes us on a journey starting with hurt and then go to hard and then hope and then holy. Um, talk to me about the process of, of constructing this version of the book, right? So <laughs> considering that, you know, there was a version once before, but h- how did you kind of figure out this path and, um, and the process of putting it all together? What was, what was that like for you? Well, I found the original copy in my basement. It was like printed off in 1998, like computer line by line paper. And I I was like, wow, this girl is jacked up. This girl was not okay. (laughs) Somebody put her in therapy right now. (laughs) I was like, what was I doing? Um, You know, but I, I think about it now and it's like the first chapter I wrote actually was chapter six, which is don't let your Judas keep you from your Jesus. Mm. So I actually started with the freshest part of my story, which was the most current, was when I wanted to quit. 
And so I went from chapter six and basically wrote through the hard chapters first and then ended with the hope and the, and the holy. Now, here's the thing. I didn't have a chapter 12. So I tell my story. I tell what's going on. I weave in these biblical characters, but I'm like, how do I bring this sucker home? Like, I don't know that I have all the resolution that I need because I tell my parent story and how we got hurt. I tell my current story, but where am I now? Like, and so I, I really wrestled with like, how do I end this? Because I want to point people to the healer, but maybe I still have some unresolved healing. And that's what a book does. A book really makes you go through your own uh, healing as well. And so about two years ago, as I was finishing the book, I get a call from the church that hurt my family when I was a senior in high school. Mm. And the new pastors were in my youth group. And they said, hey, Natalie, would you come and lead worship for the 100-year anniversary? We're inviting people back from over the years, and we'd love for you to come and be part of that. And I'm like, no, why would I go back? Like, there's been therapy and medication. Like, I am not going back. Right. <laughs> and the Lord said, um, you're trying to finish a book about a reconciled church. You will totally go back. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go back. <laughs> so I get on a plane, uh, and I fly home, and I, I drive up to that church. I see the parsonage has been torn down. The church looks the exact same. If you've ever been back to the scene of a crime, if you've ever been back to where you've been mm. hurt, you just get that sick feeling in your stomach. And I'm feeling my stomach churning. And I walk into the church. It smells the same. It looks the same, same color carpet, the same lighting. And I walk into the sanctuary and the, the sweet saints I thought were 80 when I was 17. They clearly weren't because they're still alive and sitting in their like same seats <laughs> and everything. <laughs> and I see people on that platform who were actively part of hurting my family. Oh, wow. And I just think, how do I do this? And the Lord said, just get up there and do what I've called you to do. And so I get up there. I'm part of this. We're leading worship. And it comes to the part of the service where the pastor introduces everybody on the platform and how we knew, you know, King's Point and all of that. And he gets to me and he says, this is Natalie. Her dad was one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And the whole room goes up into this applause. And I just remember the Lord saying, if you would have quit, you would have never seen this moment. Mm. And I get off the platform after the service and all these old ladies are running up to me and they're holding my face and they're saying, you look just like your daddy and tell your mom we miss her singing and tell your dad he was my favorite hunting buddy. And I'm just standing there and realizing like they didn't hate us. They didn't even know. And yeah. what had felt like an exile was actually just an exodus. And the Lord was finally showing me that if we won't quit, he will make all things work out for our good. But a lot of us are quitting before we get to the hope and the holy. We're quitting because of the hurt and the hard. And rightfully so, because some of it is awful. But if we will contend for healing and contend for that reconciliation that God gives us, then I believe, even if it's not till heaven, some of us won't see here, I'm sorry, until we get to heaven. Some of us won't get that full reconciliation until heaven. But if we will just stay in position, the Lord will finish the work. And so that's how I finished the book. Chapter 12, I'm still here. I tell that story of just the redemption and how the Lord brought that full circle 25 years later because I didn't quit. Um, and I am so grateful for that. They're actually huge advocates of this book, that whole church is just cheering me on. Um, and they call me a daughter of the house and it's just an honor. Who it gets me all my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. It, it, I just think it's, um, it's so good because it's just such a beautiful representation of what it means to be in a real relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the, the hard part between the, the church staff and the body is that 
It, sometimes it doesn't feel like a real relationship, but it is if you are willing to stay in it. And I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's a lot of wisdom. Um, and I think too, like my dad did a really good job of teaching us to love the people more than we did our positions. Hmm. And when we fall in love with the people first, we're more likely content to contend for the healthy relationships because we can't imagine not doing life without them. When we go into churches and we, we choose the position first, and we hide away in green rooms and we don't go to the hospitals and we don't sit with people in their sorrow and we don't rejoice with them in their in their joy. We're missing out on the greatest part of being on a church staff so that, yes, you're risking getting hurt, but you're also missing out being loved. And so because I learned to love the people first, that's who I was taught to contend for. And then no matter what my position was, I was just glad to be part because it meant that I was part of a family. And like you said, family's family. Like we're going to hurt each other. Yeah. Um, that's just reality. But when we learn to love the people first, we'll fight for them first over our position or over our assignment. I wanted to ask you um, a question that it may not be applicable to many people who are listening, but it's my podcast. So I get to ask whatever <laughs> questions I want. Um, I have three kids, 17, um, almost 13 and an 11, two boys and a princess. Uh, and my biggest fear in life is them leaving the church because they've witnessed all the things that happen when you're a lead pastor or an associate pastor or like, uh, and I desperately want them to just love Jesus as much as I do and, and, and love the church as much as I do and as much as I think you do too. And so I, I'm wondering if you have any like, tips, tricks, practices, anything that you're like, this is how my dad saved my relationship with the church, or this is how I'm going to save the relationship with the church for my kids, or is there anything I can steal from you, please, Natalie? Hey, listen, I'm raising my own, so I get it. It's like every, you know, especially growing up in the 90s where it was like so much about like be in church and go to church and you're going to be the yeah. best like church kid and you're going to be the best church adult. And it's, it's so much pressure. And so I would say this to you. My dad said something, and I will never forget this when I was a kid. I went to my dad when I was a junior in high school. And I said, dad, there's a church down the street from my high school and all of my friends go there and they're doing missions trips and they're letting me lead worship. And I would love permission to leave our church and not be a pastor's kid and go be part of that church. And he looked at me and he said, Natalie, as long as you're pursuing Jesus, I will give you permission to go wherever you need mm -hmm. to go to get to know that Jesus, as long as you're being fed. And the church came at him pretty hard for that because that meant the pastor's kid wasn't sitting in the pews being the perfect model citizen. And my dad said something that will never, I'll never forget. He said, I will bag groceries at Walmart before I let the church hurt my kids. Wow. I think when our kids know that they are our first ministry, when they know we will take a bullet for them, that we will not let people have access to them, that we will not let people um, speak into them who we have not given permission to speak into them, when we defend them, when they know that we are going to be their greatest champions, they will trust the church more than if we just surrender our children on the altar of work. And they know the difference between being tolerated and celebrated. And so the minute that I knew my dad was serious, and trust me, I saw my dad bag groceries at Walmart. The man did it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, when you see that, 
then you know they're they're for real. And so I think as adults, as parents, we have to remember that our kids are our first priority. And so we do we do fun things like some Sundays we don't go to church. Some Sundays we go on an adventure and we look for God in really great places. And when we do go to church, we ask them to serve one and attend one so that they're not working all the time. And we limit what they do for other people. If people want my daughter to babysit, we ask her, would you like to babysit for them? Just because you're the pastor's kid doesn't mean you're going to do all the things. And so I think taking that title pastor's kid off of them and reminding them they have an assignment that may not even be in the church. They may be artists. They may be realtors. They may be teachers, but that we are surrounding them with people who will speak life into them, but not mm. everybody in the church has access to them. Um, and so that's a couple of things. It's just one, making them the first priority. Number two, not limiting God to a building. And number three, making sure that people who are in the church who we want to have access to them has access to them, but protecting them from the ones we don't. Um, because there's a lot of critical spirits over our kids right now. Um, and so those have been the three that we're working on. But look, I'll take advice from anybody at this point <laughs> or to help me as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Kara Powell from the Orange and the Youth Fuller Institute, she always talks about like five to one, like for every one, a, you know, teenager, there needs to be five adults in their life. And so we, we try to practice that and, and having, we have a life group that we're close with and then, you know, access, I think is probably the, the right way to say that. And not everybody gets access and no. certainly nobody gets access all the time. No. And, you know, we were so sheltered. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to watch like Smurfs or you know, Scooby-Doo. Simpsons <laughs> so, for me. Simpsons, Simpsons was off Like yeah. Dawson's Creek, like yeah. anything that was like anything that was controversial. And so I think too, like just the way that we parent as Christians is hard enough, much less throw on the pastor's kid title and it mm-hmm. just adds so much. So I think just giving them permission to be human too and, and to make mistakes publicly and privately and um, yeah, how we apologize, how we um, have those conversations as a family. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much an open book around this house, so that can be good or bad on how you see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we, we kind of model the same thing. It's we, we have a lot of family meetings where we talk about things. And everybody gets a vote, although not all votes are equal. That's right. You get a voice, not a vote sometimes. Yeah. 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 I mean, wait, you can still vote. It doesn't mean anything. I, yeah. You know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay. I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, but before I ask it, I know everybody's going to want to learn more about where they can pick up co- their copy of the book and kind of w- where the best places to learn about where you'll be speaking and your ministry. And of course, Everyone probably already knows about the Racist Stay Instagram account, but where's the best place to follow you, what God is doing through you online? Yeah, Raise to Stay on Instagram is probably the number one. And then we do have Facebook groups under my name, Natalie Runyon. Um, those are just more like the public forums. I have a private Raise to Stay where you can ask to be in, and that's where people hash out some things in more of a private setting. You know, anybody have any advice on this? How would you handle this? Um, which has been a really neat forum for people who are looking for community. Um, also, for in terms of speaking, that mostly goes through my Instagram account. I'll post those like a couple of weeks before with links to how to get tickets. Um, I think coming up, I'll be down at um, Jensen Franklin's church down um, in Georgia and then their um, Irvine campus and some larger events that are starting to come forward. So we'll start posting those soon as they get closer. The book is everywhere. The book will be Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, 
Um, you can pre-order now. And I will tell you that I have a dream to see this hit New York Times bestseller because I want to kick Satan in the face. And I want to tell him he cannot have his God, uh, church, or his people. No. So we do have to hit a certain amount of pre-orders to hit that. So we're going for 10,000 pre-orders and we're almost halfway there. So I am believing wow. through bulk orders and as we get closer to release, which is July 4th, that we will hit at least 6,000 so we can run home with the last four. That's incredible. I can't wait. It, it And um, if people haven't seen the cover yet, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Like it's a, it's just really well done. Um, and I didn't get to half of the things that I had dog-eared to talk about, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's really well done and I'm, I'm Thank rooting you. for you as well. Thank um, you. Okay. Last question. I love to ask people. It's an advice question. And I ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Okay. And so I want to take you back, um, to the day that you sent off your manuscript, the very first time, the, the time that it got rejected, that younger, spirited, I'm no longer a PK version of yourself. If you could pull up a chair across from that uh, younger version of Natalie, hold her hands, sit knee to knee with her, look her in the eyes, and give her one piece of advice about what was going to happen in the rest of her life or just one piece of advice in general, what's the one thing you're going to tell her? I would say that there are going to be a hundred, no, there'll be 500 no's. You're going to hear no for the next 20 years. But the one yes that the Lord is going to give you is going to radically change not only your life, but the entire kingdom of God. And so not to quit because of the 500 no's, because there's a one yes coming that is worth all of the rejection. Mm. Amen. Amen. I love that. Natalie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time mm. and your heart and your vulnerability online. It really is a gift to the church. And mm. as a church leader, it's a definitely a gift to me too. So thank you. Well, thank you, Tony. Such a fun dialogue with Natalie. I'm so thankful for her generous time and her approach to all of this and what it means to dwell in the Lord and be a prophetic voice and um, how she finds her words and being creative in the kingdom and just, you know, the hurt, the hard, the hope and the holy. And I think that's a journey for all of us. So guys, do me a favor, go follow Natalie on Instagram. You probably already do, but if you don't go follow her there, you're going to love it. And thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and for the work that you do to move closer to Jesus. That's what this is all about. Thankful for you. And remember guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.